So we are in Jonah chapter 3. We're going to look at chapter 3 today, and the, the title of today's sermon is called Repentance Cubed, because uh, we're going to be talking about three characters in the book of Jonah that are all going to repent today. Uh, there's going to be three different people or sets of people who are going to change their thinking or their plans or their actions as we will see. And these three people will be Jonah. He changes. We're going to see Nineveh, that entire group of people, that entire nation is going to repent, just like Jonah, well, in a different way, but they're going to repent. And we're going to see God himself is going to repent or is going to change his uh, plans. Each character that we're going to study today uh, is going to come to a point where they change, again, their thinking or their plans. And that's what it means to repent. It's saying, I am going to change how I'm thinking. I'm going to agree with someone else. Um, so you're changing the way you're thinking to say, I'm actually wrong and this person is right, or just changing it because of the circumstances of change. In 1907, in North Korea, in the city of Pyongyang, there was a famous revival. It was called the Pyongyang Revival. We think of North Korea as being the communist um, dictatorship that it is today. But back before World War I, um, it was a free country, united. There was no North or South Korea. It was just Korea. And it was called the Jerusalem of the East because there was so much uh, Christianity there. There was so much uh, spiritual life there. In fact, they were the first Asian nation to have a four-year degree uh, for uh, in Christian studies. Uh, and so they, they were really cruising along with their, with their Christianity, but there was a cultural thing going on where they really hated Japanese people. They really did not like them because Japanese people had treated them terribly, and so there was a, a vast cultural hatred of the Japanese people that the Korean people just kind of all accepted and grew up with. Well, there was a meeting in 1907 in Pyongyang at a conference where one of the missionaries stood up and he addressed this. And through prayer and through teaching the word, the people, the Koreans who were there, got deeply convicted by the Holy Spirit. And they started to confess their sin. They started to repent. And they started to change their minds about the Japanese, specifically that sin of hating the Japanese people culturally. And so that the entire um, church was kind of reborn at that time. They were, um, there was just a revival happening. Many, uh, there was much growth and, and a lot of really wonderful things that happened in North Korea during that time. And it all happened, and it all started or kick-started by repentance. God wanted to do something in the church and he was able to, um, because of his power, and the people were able to submit to him through repentance, changing their mind and how they were thinking, especially about a certain sin, agreeing with God that it was wrong and that they wanted to change. They didn't want to do that sin anymore. So with that little story of history, we're going to fast forward. Well, we're actually going to go back in time to Jonah chapter 3. And we're going to start reading now. And it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying... We're going to pause right there. So we're just going to take 
bite by bite as we go through this chapter. This, as you go back to chapter one, you'll see that this is almost exactly word for word how chapter one started. And we're going to see that there's a lot of symmetry between chapter one and chapter three in this amazing, uh, amazingly written and, and skillfully put together book. But uh, God, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time. God is still willing to use Jonah. He's still chosen Jonah to accomplish his plan for the city of Nineveh, which is just amazing because Jonah has been sinning and sinning a bunch, you know. Uh, but Jonah's sin didn't disqualify him. There's a verse that we come across in the New Testament that says, uh, the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance, which means God does not change his plans for you based on how much you fail or how much work you need on his end to form you into his image. God, God knew that you would be a difficult case for him, but that's why he chose you, because he loves you and he knows what he's going to do eventually through you. And so, yes, you may be stubborn. Yes, you may be difficult. And yes, you may fall on your face time after time after time again. But because of God's love and God's grace, he is not going to give up on you. Your sin doesn't disqualify you. God has washed away your sin by the blood of Jesus. And that's what his blood is for, is to wash away our sin so that we can repent continually, so we can keep coming back into his presence his blood is good enough for that. He is willing to accept you back. Our job is to keep turning back to him. Keep our eyes focused on him. And you might say there's an argument out there, and it's a, it's a good question, this question that comes up. Actually, let me tell you guys this. Yesterday, as I was looking at a building, uh, which was actually a former mosque that's empty right now, and I was thinking it might be good for us. It still might be a possibility. But as I was walking around this parking lot, uh, I met a Muslim man uh, named Hassam. And, and we started talking. We started speaking. And, and uh, we were just talking about the buildings. And I just kind of started a, a, a conversation with him. And, and then uh, I, I asked him, hey, do you know what Jesus has done for you? And I, so then I started sharing the gospel with him. And it was a really great conversation. We ended up talking for probably 45 minutes to an hour about the gospel. And we're going to continue that conversation via email and stuff like that. Really nice guy. So you can all be praying for Hassan. I bring it up because he asked a very valid question, a very good question that many Muslim people ask uh, when you share the gospel with them or when you're talking about Jesus. He asked, so, so let me get this right. So if I come to church and I become a Christian then Jesus washes away all my sin Then, um, with his blood. Then I can just go, um, you know, sleep with whoever I want and just go sin and just do all that. And, and I'm just always forgiven. Is that what you're trying to tell me? What a good question. And, and it really, it strikes a nerve, especially with Muslim people, because they really see uh, holiness and righteousness as being a big deal. And I was glad that he asked that question because it, it opened the door for me to be able to share with him how great and valuable the blood of Jesus is and how transformative it is. So 
yes, the blood of Jesus does forgive us of all our sin and wash away our sins in his blood. That is very true. And if you make a mistake, no matter what that mistake is, it can be forgiven. But the blood of Jesus has a second, probably bigger operation, which is it is able to transform a sinner, uh, not just in standing before God, but in practice, in, in sanctification. The blood of Jesus is able to change us. And that's what I was able to share with him, is that uh, the forgiveness is just in standing, but God is able to give us sanctification, which is more than forgiveness. He's able to actually transform who we are by the blood of Jesus. Um, so, he is a God of second chances. He is a God of second chances. But it's not just second chances so we can go and sin again and enjoy our sin and, and really love sinning. That is not the goal, and that's not what is going to happen when someone truly has their eyes on Jesus. It is a guarantee, Jesus says, if you set your eyes upon me and draw near to me, I will draw near to you. And the result of that relationship will be fruitfulness. There will be a fruit. And one of the fruits of uh, a relationship with Jesus is righteousness. He will produce that righteousness in his own time. In fact, Jesus, get this, guys. He takes responsibility for your life and for your behavior when you commit yourself to him. When you draw near to him and you look to him for all things in humility and faith, he says, I will transform you. That is the, the beauty of the gospel and what we call second chances. We can come back to him, we can repent, set our eyes upon him, and he will always uh, receive us back. We need to remember, going back to our story, that Jonah had just been in a whale for three days. Um, he sang us a song in chapter two, or he wrote a psalm, about what that was like. And Jonah had reconnected with his God there in the belly of the fish. Uh, he had a new start, a fresh lease on life, a second chance. Uh, and now he's been vomited up on the beach, and God speaks to him right there. And God doesn't say, I told you so, or how did that feel? You know, he... he he treats Jonah with honor and respect, and he, he speaks to him with love, giving him a second chance to uh, fulfill the calling of God in his life. And Jonah won't run away this time. Uh, he's done his share of prodigal living. What does that word mean, prodigal? Um, I, it's a reference to Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son, but the word prodigal means wasteful, wasted, worthless, okay? That's what the word prodigal means. Jonah doesn't want to rebel against God's will anymore in a way that would waste his life. He actually wants to do God's will. He's, uh, he's going to do God's will, and he's going to do it good. Like, he, he really is going to dig in to actually do—he's going to commit to doing God's will now. Now, remember Luke chapter 15, though. Because Luke chapter 15, the parable Jesus tells of the prodigal son has two big sections or parts, just like the book of Jonah. Um, 
the first section or part was the prodigal son, the younger son that took his father's inheritance and went to a far land, ran away from the father and his will. And he gets, you know, saved. He comes back, uh, repents of his actions, comes back, uh, and, and his father accepts him and receives him. And that's kind of what we've seen happen with Jonah. He has been that guy. Uh, he has repented. He's come back. He's been in God's arms. And now God says, you know, you can serve me. I want you to serve me again. But now there's a second part of the story in Luke chapter 15, which is the older brother who serves his dad, always serves his dad, uh, but does so not out of love, but out of obligation. He thinks he has to, to earn his father's favor or love. And Jonah has come and he's going to take of that mantle now. He's going to represent that brother where he is going to do God's will, but we're going to see he does not have the right heart as he does the right things and looks down on people who are not doing the right things. So keep that in mind. We're going to talk about it more later in later studies as we as we keep connecting those dots. All right, our text goes on to say, Arise, God says to him, uh, Go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So that phrase, that great city, means that this city was valuable to God. God thought it was great or valuable. God had plans for this city, okay? And he needed a prophet to go there and tell them something in order for his plans to work out. God needed somebody, and God chose Jonah to do this. He wasn't about to tell Jonah uh, what he was supposed to say yet, uh, he was giving Jonah a chance to obey his words one step at a time, right? He knows where Jonah is at. He knows he's kind of fragile at this point, maybe. And he doesn't overwhelm him with too much information, just step by step with Jonah, right? Jonah needs to understand. He needs to learn. He needs to be discipled that he needs to walk step by step and not look too far in the future. And this is a really good lesson for us because God works with us the same way many times, we want to know the plans, right? We want to know 10 steps ahead, 10 years ahead, 10 months ahead, 10 days ahead. But he wants to lead us with his voice and with his eyes step by step. He wants us to continually be coming back to him and saying, God, what's the next step? God, what's the next step? And you might think if you're a boss, that would be annoying to have your employees always saying, what's the next thing we got to do? What's the next thing? So you try to lay out things for them. But see, God, he's not worried about being efficient, he simply loves you. He loves you so much that he loves spending time with you. And every single conversation he can have with you, he delights in. He absolutely delights in it. So he loves the step-by-step -step relationship where he is, yes, the master and the Lord. And he, he won't give us too much information because he wants to come to him day by day, step by step. We want to have, if we have too much information, what happens is we feel like we have the option to change the plans if we feel it necessary. Like if we know the plans, then we can, uh, I don't really want to do that, so let me step over here and do this. Uh, but he wants us to obey moment by moment and not worry about the future, but just trust him that he knows the future and we can know him. We don't have to know the future because we can know him. We can know that he is always going to speak to us. He always wants to share the next step with you. He will share the next step with you. He promises to speak the next step 
to you. And that is, that is so, such a treasure that we just look past. Yeah, I know God's telling me what to do right now, but what about five years from now? Just forget about it. Just enjoy the right now relationship with the Lord. Be in the presence. Live in the present with him. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. So here Jonah obeys and we all give him a standing, you know, ovation, a golf clap because he has repented. So this is the first person that repents in our story today. Jonah has given up the game of trying to control his life and to control his God. He is submitting to God's word and God's will. He was rebellious. Now he's outwardly, at least, going to do what God wants. But God is looking for those who, but excuse me, is God wanting or looking for those people who will do what he wants on the outside? Well, that's actually what this book is all about. Yes, Jonah is going to obey on the outside, but God has some issues with Jonah that he's going to speak to Jonah about in chapter 4. And in reality, Jonah is speak, or God is speaking to us through the book of Jonah. Uh, if, when we get to chapter 4, we're going to hit those lessons pretty hard. But for now, Jonah looks like he is, he's doing what God wants to do, again, on the outside. It says, Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great City And again, in Hebrew, this phrase means that it was an extremely important city for God. God looked at the city, he loved it, and he thought, he considered it as valuable. In God's mind, he valued the city greatly and wanted to do something important with the city. This played into his plans, and, and something was, was going wrong that God needed to fix. Um, all cities are, are important to God whether godly or pagan. In fact, this verse says that all cities belong to God, whether they are uh, godly or pagan, because he cares about people, because people have been made in his image, and whenever there's a bunch of people, he does care about them deeply. And then it says, So Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, and it says, A three days journey. Now, again, in Hebrew, this is a phrase that means something specific. And it means that it was a very long journey from where Jonah got barfed up to where this city was. It was actually a little more than 600 miles. So could you imagine going through the worst three days of your life and then having to walk 600 miles? That's crazy, right? That's that's a rough day. That is a big journey. And it it would have taken much longer than three days to get there. So why does the Hebrew say three days journey? Well, because ancient people would use one of two phrases when describing a journey. They would say a day's journey, or they would say a three days journey. Okay, those are the way that they would estimate time. They wouldn't try to get the exact number of days because they don't know how fast you're going to walk. But a day's journey or three days journey described basically what you would need to know about a journey. If it was a day's journey, it means you didn't have to pack for an overnight. You didn't have to bring an overnight bag. You didn't have to plan to camp or hunt for food. You can survive a day without water or food. It's a day's journey about a day's journey. And that was important to know. A three days journey, like what is said here, means it was a journey that you had to be committed to go on. 
And so anywhere you went, if you went, you know, 100 miles, but it's longer than a day, they would say it's a three-day journey, which means you need to be committed because you can't live without water for more than three days. You need food. You need to hunt. You need to bring food. You need to bring, you know, stuff for bad weather. You need to be ready. You need to be committed. Uh, and this means Jonah needed to commit to walking the 600 miles to obey God. That is a lot of work. Jonah is putting in the hours, and with each one of those miles, with each one of those steps, his self-righteousness is getting stronger and stronger, thinking, look at how I'm obeying God. Look at what I'm, how I'm awesome I am. Even though he had just, you know, gotten in a boat and tried to disobey God, he's, you know, he's done with that now, and he's saying, look, I'm going to obey God. Look, I'm going to obey God. But is Jonah really better than anyone else? No. He's not. He's just been chosen for a special thing, and, and, and it does require this commitment. So, you know, he's probably thinking, I'm earning some good favor with God. God sees all that I'm going through. You know, he's not thinking about the people that are suffering in the place that he's going. He's thinking about himself, most likely. Uh, and again, this is older brother thinking from Luke chapter 15. I'm working hard for God. I'm doing so much for God. Look at all, look at how many Bible studies I go to. Look, the church, you know, service, you know, cuts out three times and I still tune in to the church service. That's crazy. That's Luke chapter 15 again. When we think that God is impressed, we got it all wrong. He's not impressed. Does he love you? Oh, so deeply. He loves you dearly. But he's not impressed, and he's not comparing you with anybody else. He asks you to obey, and we simply obey to honor and glorify him. All right, the text continues. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. This means uh, on the first day, again, it goes back to that other phrase, not a three-day journey, but... In the first day when he entered, it means right when he entered the city, he started giving the message that God gave him. He didn't wait. He didn't settle in. He didn't come up with a plan. He didn't get a ministry plan put together. He's actually pumped up to deliver this message. Uh, so just imagine. Okay, we're going to just put on your, your imagination cap and think with me. Um, this is what he said. It said, then he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Jonah probably laughed with joy when he heard the message that God was giving him to speak. Think about it. Jonah hated these people. He thought they were murderers and he was you know, committed to doing God's will. I mean, he knows he's probably going to die, but at least he's going to die doing something he loves, which is telling these Ninevites that they're going to die. Just imagine, he's probably so excited to give this message. He wants nothing more than for God to destroy this city. He wants this to be true. He wants this to happen. He's already been through hell in his own life getting here. So he doesn't even really care how they treat him or how they respond. He's laughing in their face saying, 40 days, y'all are going to burn. You're all going to die. He's so excited about this. You're all going to die. <laughs> God's going to kill you all in 40 days. 
burn sinners. <laughs> yeah, that's how Jonah is probably acting. Okay, everyone take a moment. Again, imagine with me what this moment in history was like. Imagine you're, you're, you're a Ninevite. You're just sitting on your porch like any other day, slapping your friends with some fishes, and here comes this crazy, angry guy yelling at everybody. Okay, and he just walks right into town yelling at you. He's pointing his, you know, craggly old finger right at you saying you're going to burn. Well, you actually don't know what he's saying because he's not from your country. We'll get to that in a minute. He's, he, you have no idea who this guy is. He, you don't know, even know how he's dressed. He's dressed like a complete weirdo. His skin is bleached white. His hair is probably falling out in pieces. And this is the uh, results of being in a, in a fish's digestive system for three days. He looks half digested. You know, so, you know, he's probably got eye problems. He's probably got skin problems. He's got hair problems. He looks horrifying. He looks like a horror movie in real life. He's been, and not only that, he's been walking through a desert for 600 miles. So he's probably also sunburned. So he's stinky. He never got a shower after being vomited up by the whale. He is in a terrible mood, and he looks terrifying. And he's not even speaking your language, so he's just yelling random syllables at you. And he's laughing at you, and he's pointing at you, and he's making fire sounds with his mouth and with his fingers saying, <laughs> What a crazy experience this must have been. So you find someone who speaks this language and you try to translate what he's saying and it's only five words, the same five words over and over, which are in 40 days, Nineveh will be overturned or overthrown. What an incredible situation. Let's go on with our text. So the people of Nineveh, it says, believed God, proclaimed a fast, Put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. So here we have Nineveh repents. This is the number two repenting story, repenting character in our story. Uh, this is the most shocking sentence a Hebrew reader could have ever read at this moment uh, because these were the terrible bad guys, the murderers, the terrorists who had killed many thousands of innocent Jews and other people. These were the losers. And yet here in this story, written by a Jewish prophet, they are the shining heroes. The, the, they are the, the innocent now. They are the good guys now. They would, this sentence would strike any Jew to the heart. The problem with nationalism, guys, is that you're all, you always think that your country is the good guys. And it's really hard to see any other nation as your equal as brothers or as equally valuable as your own nation. And God wants to free us from nationalism, truly. And he wants us to see all men as his children and equals in his eyes. How did this happen, this whole nation repenting? It seems impossible. Well, God did it. You know, God worked in their hearts. He obviously motivated them and he, he wanted this to happen. 
but he had been using some really interesting things to get them prepared for this day that Jonah was going to walk in, right? Assyria, this nation of Nineveh, had experienced a series of defeats in wars in the years leading up to this. So they were starting to wonder, is there a supernatural reason why we're why we keep getting defeated? They had also experienced a series of famines, which they knew came from God. A- another series of just random crises. They even had a few eclipses happen in the years just prior to this, leading up to this. And so they were starting to wonder, I bet you, if someone above was mad at them. They knew they were evil. In fact, they, pr- they were proud of it. They bragged about it. They, they carved it into all of their things. It was their identity. Being evil, wicked, and violent was their identity. Violence was a part of their culture, and they knew it was wrong because they had consciences, but they, they, were, they were committed to it as a way of life. We are going to be violent, and it's who we are, and we're, you know, it's our gang. That's, that's the identity of our gang is violence. So God had been preparing this change for a long time. God had been working behind the scenes. What is God asking you to do? And you think that's impossible. Just obey because you have no idea how God has been working behind the scenes to prepare the way for your ministry that God has asked you or has called you to walk forward in faith in. When the word came to the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from his violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? So Jonah gives some detail here about how the whole nation was changed, was changed, how social reform happened. The king changed their laws, basically, to align with God's will. Uh, they changed their violent ways. It was literally legal to be violent before, and the king changed those laws so that now they had a social reform of some sort, um, you know, and so that maybe they could escape God's punishment and destruction that was going to come in 40 days. You see, guys, when a nation or any culture walks in wickedness continually, God says that they will devour one another in Isaiah chapter 9. When a nation or a culture continually does what is wicked, they will devour one another. This means that social injustice will, if it continues long enough, it will have a self-fulfilling destruction, a self-sourced destruction is attached to it. Your nation will fall. Your empire will dissolve 
Your world will collapse, whether it's on the national scale or on a personal scale. You watch a crime show and, you know, it's always this person was so wonderful as they were young. But man, they continue in walking in evil continually. And who they are at the end is just destruction. By the end of the story of these crime shows, it just seems like people are a shadow of themselves and a, a really a crumbled mess of a broken down house of a life. If it, this is God's wrath on sin, you might be like, wait, what? Well, that's what Jonah said, that God's wrath was coming. And it's because of the wickedness and the evil of the of the nation or the society that uh, that they're being destroyed. It's because of their own sin, and and when we understand that it's God God's wrath that's making that happen, it it helps us actually to understand it. Could you could you imagine a house being burned up, being burned to the ground, but you can't see the flames? That's what it's like. <coughs> excuse me, watching a culture. Be destroyed because of sinfulness, because of continual sinfulness. The culture just continues to rot right before your eyes. It's like it's burning, but the culture doesn't even see it. When they understand, however, that it's God's wrath against sin, then that's when you can see the the flames, and it makes sense why the culture is is being dissolved right in front of your eyes, being destroyed right in front of you. And you might think to yourself, well, isn't that just cause and effect? You do bad things and your culture collapses? Well, kind of, but you see, God invented those causes and those effects. God set them in order that this is how it will happen. And so these causes and effects are actually expressions of his holiness and his rule in this world. And that's why our culture, if it continues to walk in evil, will be destroyed. There is a fire already set to it. It will happen. We don't know the times or the dates, but God's wrath does not hold back if, if, uh, if there's no repentance. So, whenever there's cruelty, greed, exploitation, you know, whatever kind of sinfulness you can imagine, there will be terrible consequences for the culture. It's all self-destructive. But, in our story, Nineveh, repents, changes their laws, and their behaviors. So what happens? So God saw their works, and and they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Boom. There you go. Take that. God shows this nation mercy when they repented of their wicked works. And so here we have the third character repenting in our story, and that is God. God is repenting. Now, it's not in a sense that he was doing something evil and he changed. Both all that God does is good, but God had planned to destroy them, but he sent a preacher, the preacher preached, they listened, they repented, and God's will was then to forgive and to not destroy them. So this raises some really big questions. Theologically, did God change and was Jonah a false prophet prophesying that they would be destroyed. Uh, I thought God never changes. I thought God is sovereign. That's what some people teach in in a really extreme way. Well, he did change. Actually, he did. Um, You see, because God deals in the realm of possibilities. 
hypotheticals. He, he understands that there's hypotheticals and possibilities and, and free will. He understands those things, and those things do not offend him or, or confront his sovereignty in any way. He knows everything, right? And, but he chooses to let some of his creatures have free will, and he chooses to reserve the right to respond as he wants according to the choice of his creatures. He loves it. He has chosen that it would be that way. Nineveh, get this, was destroyed. It was just delayed by 150 years. Okay, so just like Nahum predicted and prophesied in his prophecy, in his book in the Old Testament, Nineveh was destroyed. So God did do exactly what he said he would do through Jonah, but he changed the time because of their repentance. Now, in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah explains this. God actually explains this. He says in Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 7 through 10, Jeremiah 18, verses 7 through 10, he says, The instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up or to pull down and to destroy it, if that nation whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. And the instant I speak concerning a nation and a kingdom to build it and to plant it, if it does evil in my sight and so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent from doing the good that I said I would do to benefit it. So, God's will, God's character says that he will always allow men the space to repent, either for good or for evil, to change their ways. And, and, uh, and not face the natural or supernatural consequences of their evil. He says, I will allow them to change. Uh, that's his will, that's his plan, that's his sovereign decision, is to allow there to be free will. How interesting is that? Okay, now the next question we got to answer. Did the nation of Assyria, did all the Ninevites get saved? I've heard people say, oh man, this nation got saved so hard, even their, even their you know, animals got saved. The answer is, no, they did not get saved in the way that we usually think about salvation, the way that you and I understand and know salvation. You see, the, these people did not learn anything about salvation by faith. Um, their nation was saved or spared from destruction that was going to come upon them. So you could say, yeah, they were saved in that sense, but that's it. They didn't die an unnatural death of judgment that was coming to them at this moment. But each person was still held accountable for their sin on Judgment Day. What evidence do we have? Well, they are not a covenant people. They don't become a covenant people. They don't enter into a covenant with God in any way. They don't enter the covenant with the sign of the covenant of circumcision, like the Jews. There's no conversion as far as their religion. They didn't become Jewish. They didn't get rid of any of their idols. They still had their idols so what was this salvation? What was this great change? What was this whole thing about? Well, their salvation was from the supernatural judgment that was going to come upon them and destroy them in 40 days, not a spiritual life that is given to those who have a relationship with God through faith. That is not actually what happened here. That's a bummer. Until you look at the story that this story points to. 
You see, the story that this story points to is Jesus. Jesus came and he preached about God's judgment also, just like Jonah. Jesus probably didn't laugh and point in their faces like Jonah probably did, but Jesus preached about God's judgment, saying, hey guys, it's over. God's judgment is coming. Jesus also faced 40 days of judgment and testing of God, just like Jonah said that this nation would have to go through. But Jesus gave his life so that those who repent and look to him in faith could be saved completely, not just from the judgment or the wrath of of this temporary world that we live in, not just from fire and brimstone, but from all the judgment and wrath of sin completely. Jesus suffered so that we could be saved completely, completely righteous in God's sight. Guys, real quick, we're done here, but I just got to say these couple challenging things. If Jonah enjoyed preaching about God's wrath, and didn't even care about the people that he preached to. How glad can we be to preach a complete salvation? Yes, God's wrath is a part of salvation, but there is so much more salvation and more deliverance than Jonah ever knew or could preach. What Jesus has given us is a wonderful, wonderful good news and gospel that we can preach to this world. Jonah was rejoicing in God's perspective judgment of sin. And we, on the other hand, we get to rejoice in all that God did do to judge sin on the cross and now offers forgiveness to everyone. Jonah was happy that God might judge their sin. We get to rejoice that God did judge our sin. And it is a joyful thing to us. No matter who we are or what we've done or how evil we've been, there is forgiveness and and a joyful response to God judging sin now. And guys, we are charged with sharing this gospel as a free gift to this world. God has judged. His judgment came. And he you know, poured out all of his wrath on on evil and sin on his son, Jesus. Jesus paid a costly price for us to offer this salvation to the world. Let's go share it with the world. If God is willing to partially save a city through the preaching of a stubborn, hard-hearted prophet, imagine what he could do with willing, loving, surrendered, Spirit-filled, Spirit-led children of God preaching His gospel. If this story blows your mind at all about what God could do, just think about what He could do through you. All Jonah said was, you're going to be destroyed, and I'm happy. And we can say, our sin was destroyed on the cross, and you can be happy. We can be happy together. We'll just close by reading Matthew 28, where Jesus sends us out into the world with this message. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Father, we thank you so much for how Jonah points us to your complete salvation and grace. We rejoice that you poured out your sin on a substitute. It should have been on us, but it went upon Jesus instead. And we thank you so much that you offer us love and life, freedom and forgiveness, acceptance and adoption. God, we we rejoice in who you are. We love you and help us to be bold to share your gospel with this whole world this week. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. We'll hope to see you this week. We'll see you soon.